Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. I wrap gifts as if I am a gorilla wearing boxing gloves. Like that is my skill level. Like that is, I cannot wrap gifts. Decorating, like it's a good thing that Christmas is far more meaningful than all of those things. And those are fun and those are good and those are joyful, but I'm glad that Christmas is truly a time for joy. And that apart from Jesus, it would be easy to like dread this time of year and to see it as just like more stuff to do more tasks, more money to spend. But because of Jesus, Christmas is a time of great rejoicing, right? That is good news this morning. And so as you go through the Christmas season and all of the other stuff, hey, enjoy it, have fun. Don't let it stress you out too much, but let's celebrate and rejoice in Jesus. And so as we begin Advent, you'll see this is kind of our theme this year is rejoice, and the main idea of these next few weeks is this, that the birth of Jesus leads us to rejoice. And so in this series, we're going to look each week at a different response or reaction in Scripture to either like the announcement of the birth of Jesus or to actually the birth of Jesus. We're going to see how different people respond and react to that. And you'll kind of see there's a common theme of rejoicing. So there we go. Advent is a time of expectant waiting remembering that Jesus, the Messiah, has come, and also that we expectantly wait for him to come again. And so it's these two dual reminders that we remember, oh, Jesus came, he fulfilled his promise, and yet as we sit here today and we say, God, what is going on in the world around us? Things are broken, things are going crazy, and yet our hope is to say, God, you have not forgotten. Jesus, we wait for you to come again. If you were to look in the very last phrase of your Bible in the book of Revelation, it says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And that is the prayer of Advent. Jesus, we cannot wait for you to come again. You are our hope. So during this season, I encourage you to take time each day to pause, to be still, to focus on Jesus. There's a lot of resources for this, either for yourself on your own or as a family. Um, if you want ideas for resources, talk to myself, talk to my wife. She knows lots of those things too. But it's such a good time to go through things either on our own or with friends or as a family to say, how are we preparing our hearts to remember the birth of Jesus? To take time to focus on why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus has come, that he is Emmanuel, God with us what does that mean? That he is not distant, but he has come near to you and I today. This is our hope. We'll read this morning from Luke chapter one. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter one. And this chapter gives us the account of the birth of John the Baptist and begins the account of the birth of Jesus. So in order to kind of get us into the flow of what we're doing, I'm going to kind of story, the first like verses five through 24. Um, and they talk about this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, who were they? Well, they are the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest. Both of them, the scripture says they were righteous before God. 
Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered. That's a pretty cool name, Yahweh has remembered. And in the account here from the book of Luke, they had no children and they were already old. It says they were barren, they had no children. They didn't, they, were, they wanted that, but they were longing for that, but they couldn't. And so one day, Zechariah goes into the temple. He was chosen to go into the temple to, um, it says to light incense. This was I, what I was reading. This was like a kind of a once in a lifetime thing. It didn't happen very often for the priests. And this time he was chosen to go in, into the presence of God. He goes into the temple to perform his duties and an angel appears to him. And when you read in scripture about an angel appearing, it always says, and so-and-so was terrified, right? It means they probably about wet their pants. I'm not sure. But the angel comes and says, hey, do not be afraid. He says, your prayer has answered. Your wife will have a son and you are to name him John. He then told him that God would use John in a special way to turn many people to God. So Zechariah is listening to this and then he has some doubts. He's like, well, wait a minute. How is this gonna happen? Like, how is this gonna work? My wife is already very old. He doesn't say anything about himself. It's probably not wise to just start by saying, well, my wife is really old, right? That's not good, right? But he starts by saying, hey, how's this gonna happen? And the angel comes back and says, he says, listen, I'm Gabriel. So we get an account here of the angel Gabriel. He says, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring good news. And he says, because you did not believe my words, you will be silent and unable to speak until the baby is born. This is quite a punishment, right? I sometimes want to give this punishment to someone, but that's not in my power to do. Not someone specific, I, I don't, don't worry, I'm not thinking. So Zechariah comes out of the temple and it says everyone was out there waiting. This was a big deal, kind of this like festival atmosphere. They were waiting for it to come out. He comes out and he can't speak. He is mute. And they're like, what is going on? But as the story goes on, not long after that, Elizabeth was pregnant. God was fulfilling his promise to them. So we're gonna begin reading in Luke chapter one, verse 39, where Mary, the pregnant and soon to be mother of Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth. In the account here, Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. And so she's taking a trip to go to visit. They hadn't texted each other, hadn't sent letters probably. They didn't know that they were both pregnant, right? That's so there's, there's a, a bit of that here in the story. So Luke chapter one, we're gonna read verses 39 through 45. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, we're gonna jump over the next verses because that's for a different week and how Mary reacts. But we're gonna look here in verses 57 through 66. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna describe this. These verses describe then the birth of John the Baptist. That's, you can read it on your own sometime, but that's what it is. It's saying that God fulfilled his promise. John the Baptist was born. They named him John, all of those things. And so, we jump down to verse 67. Let's continue reading in verses 67 through 79. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, these should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, this is talking about John, will be called the prophet of Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let me pray for us again this morning. God, we are thankful for your word. And God, right now we ask for wisdom to understand what you're speaking. We ask that your spirit would shine a light on what you are speaking to us. Let us listen with humility this morning to your word. God, let us respond with hearts of rejoicing and hearts of obedience to you. Thank you for your grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. It is easy to say and believe with our heads that God is faithful and that he will fulfill his promises. It's easy to say that, it's easy to sing that in songs, right? And, and, but it's a whole much harder thing to believe that with our hearts. To live in the confidence of knowing that God truly is faithful, that he truly does keep his promises. When everything feels dark, when everything feels broken, when we don't, we can't see the end result, it's hard to walk in that and live in that. It's easy to feel like God has forgotten. It's easy for us to question his timing and his plans, to try to give God a better idea on a better timeline. Well, God, you know, if you would have done this, why wouldn't you just do this? That would make a whole lot of sense, right? This is our human nature sometimes. And maybe we don't say it with our lips, but there are times when our heart is screaming, God, have you forgotten about me? Where are you? Are you there? What are you doing? I know that that has come from my heart at times and I know that's come from your hearts. God, where are you? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. I wanna believe that you are faithful, that you fulfill your promises, but I can't see it right now. And our scripture this morning shows us that God keeps his promises. He has sent Jesus so that we no longer have to live in fear and darkness. We can live a life of freedom and purpose. What we're gonna look at this morning is this, is that we rejoice that through Jesus, the promises of God have been fulfilled. That's our rejoicing, our reaction to God's word this morning. We rejoice that through Jesus, the promises of God have been fulfilled. Now, what does that mean? To say through Jesus, the promises of God have been fulfilled, right? Does it mean that, well, God's gonna do everything that I think he should do in my life when I think it should happen? No, of course not, we know that. It doesn't mean that God is going to fulfill our every hope and dream and personal desire. 
If that was the case, that would be a very small God, right? That would be very like, for us to only be stuck in, well, God, I need you to do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. No, it doesn't mean that, but it does mean to say that God will fulfill his promises through Jesus is this. It means that Jesus has come to fulfill God's plan. When we think about the, like all of history, we think about God's word and the, the story that the Bible is telling, it's this, is God created everything and what he created was perfect. And yet humans rebelled and sinned against God and broke that relationship with God was broken. And that happened all the way back in Genesis chapter three. And so from Genesis chapter three, all the way to the New Testament, God is preparing his work of redemption. God had a plan to bring his people back to himself and that plan was Jesus. So when we come to the birth of Jesus, what we're seeing is God fulfilling his redemptive purpose. God fulfilling what he said he would do. Not, well, I want what I want, but God is doing what he knows is best. He is fulfilling his plan through Jesus that will lead to restoration, all things being made new and brought back into relationship with God. So Jesus has come to fulfill redemptive history. Now there is a place and a time to say, God, I trust that you are going to fulfill your promises in my life. And more often than not, we, look, we stand back and say, God, you were so faithful. We always stand back and see that God was faithful. But, but, but in our situations, we can stand back and look and say, God, that was even better than I hoped. That was even more than I thought. God, you knew what you were doing. So God fulfills his promises in our lives. He is faithful. And yet on this big scale, big picture, God is fulfilling redemptive history. And when we place our faith in him, we find that, we, that all the things that we truly long for Jesus does. The fulfillment of prophecy or God keeping his promises answers the deepest questions and longings of our heart. These questions of how do I deal with my guilts and my shame and my fear? God, what do we do about sin and brokenness in the world? How do we answer this problem? How can I be in relationship with God? Because that is our deepest question and longing. Whether we realize it or not, God, how, how can I know you? And so God fulfilling his promise to us answers those questions to say, oh, there's hope, there's grace, there's forgiveness. Through Jesus, we are brought into relationship with God. And so when we look at our passage today, we see both Zechariah and Elizabeth responding with rejoicing that Jesus will soon be born. We read verses 39 through 45. When Mary visits Elizabeth, it says the baby in Mary's uh, sorry the baby in Elizabeth's womb which is John leaps for joy when Mary arrives. And Elizabeth recognizes something's going on here. She recognizes that that Mary is carrying Jesus the Messiah. Verse 42 she says to Mary, "Blessed is the fruit of your womb." She is rejoicing and worshiping because God is fulfilling his promises. And then what we just read in verses 67 through 79, Zechariah is prophesying and rejoicing, proclaiming the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus. 
So let's look and see how God has done this. We're kind of starting from the, um, the truth of that God has fulfilled his promises. Now let's look in this scripture and see how he has done that. The first thing is this, this morning, Jesus came to bring salvation. Now that seems simple and clear enough. Don't tune out, stick with me because there's some interesting things to look at and see here. Jesus came to bring salvation. This is our deepest need. Apart from Jesus, we are separated from God and dead in our sin. We are deserving of the judgment of God because of our sinful rebellion against God. We are in a situation as humans and for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, we were in a situation where we had no hope. We could not fix it on our own. We could not get to God on our own because we can't earn our own salvation by being good people, by being religious, by self-improvement. We cannot get to God on our own. And we also can't just ignore it all and escape the fact that we deserve God's judgment because of our sin. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, that humans are without God and without hope in the world. But we know that there is good news. We know that scripture doesn't mean there's no hope whatsoever. It means there's no hope on our own, but there is hope in Jesus that he came to bring salvation. We think about Zechariah. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes here, or maybe sandals, I don't know. He. Thank you for not laughing at my joke. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that and do, yeah, my kids can roll their eyes and that was a dad slash pastor joke. So there we go. But Zechariah, him along with the people of Israel have been waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. It's been 700 years or more since Isaiah prophesied about the birth of Jesus. Right? I get impatient waiting for something in the microwave, let alone 700 years, right? Generation after generation lived and died without seeing the fulfillment of God's promise, without seeing the Messiah come. And it would be easy to lose hope. It would be easy for Zechariah to be like, we're never gonna see this, to doubt God's faithfulness. And yet here is Zechariah prophesying. And I love that again, because remember, it has been silent for hundreds of years for the people of Israel. There have not been prophets, there have not been people coming and saying, this is what the Lord says. And yet again, here in Luke chapter one, God is speaking again. He has not forgotten his people. We read verses 68 through 69, I'm gonna read it again. Zechariah prophesies and says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He says, blessed be God. He has visited us. He has redeemed his people. This is good news. And he goes on to say, he has raised up a horn of salvation. Okay, what's going on here? This is kind of a strange phrase. Way back in the book of Exodus, God told the Israelites how to construct their place of worship called the tabernacle along with everything that went inside of it. And God told them to build an altar. And in the description, he said, the altar on each corner should have a horn, right? I have a, a, a not a photo, I have a, an image here uh, somewhere. There should be an image of this altar, right? See that? It's not a photo, that'd be cool. Um, so you can see kind of this description of each corner has like a horn thing sticking out of it. 
And these horns were symbolic of power and strength and salvation. This is actually a common phrase in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 18, verse two, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Old Testament also gives examples of, there's, a, there's a, a thing called cities of refuge when God was forming his people. And there were these certain places and in these certain places, there was an altar with horns on the altar. And if you, really many of the scenarios were, if you accidentally killed someone, right? Uh, I don't know by what scenario, but if something happens, right? The scripture talks about it. If you, you could run and flee and go to these cities of refuge, it said, take hold of the horn of the altar, right? It's like, did you ever play tag? And in tag, there's base. And once you're touching base, you can't be tagged. It's like that on a really big theological grand level, right? It's, it's way more, right? But you could go and you could hold on to that. And it was a place of refuge and safety so that everything could be sorted out in a way of justice rather than someone just coming and saying, hey, you accidentally killed my brother. Now I'm gonna kill you. Right? It was a place of refuge and it was written into the laws of the people of Israel. If someone's holding onto the corner of that altar, don't mess with them. Let's sort this out. Let's figure this out. It was a place of refuge. And so when Zechariah says that God has raised up a horn of salvation, the picture we get is Jesus. That God in his power and love and wisdom has provided Jesus as our salvation, our hope, our place of refuge. He is our horn of salvation. He goes on to say, a horn in the house of his servant, David. This is God's promise that Jesus, the Messiah, would come through the lineage of David. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God is speaking to David and he says, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. What that means when you look through this covenant that God made with David is that God's there will always be someone on the throne of David and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so Zechariah says, he's raised up a horn for us in the house of his servant, David. What he is saying to us is God is doing everything he said he was going to do. The promises of God, the prophecies that were made of, that God made to us are being fulfilled now in our day, in our time. Jesus, the Messiah is coming. And it's in Christ alone that we find salvation and forgiveness from our sins. Through Jesus, God has made a way for redemption for us as humans, for people to come into relationship with him. And the depth of meaning of Christmas comes when we recognize it as God raising up a horn of salvation by sending his own son into the world to become human. Fast forward the story, we know that he became human, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, gave his life on the cross, rose from the dead. In verse 72, it says, to show mercy, again, talking about Jesus, that he comes to show mercy promised to our fathers. Jesus came to show mercy, mercy from the judgment that we deserve. God is fulfilling his promise to bring salvation into the world. And so we rejoice in the birth of Jesus because Jesus has come to bring salvation. And again, my, my encouragement, don't just hear that as like, oh yes, Jesus is our salvation, that's nice. What we are seeing is God working his plan, showing his faithfulness to us 
day in and day out. So Jesus has come to bring salvation. Secondly, through Jesus, God is remembering his covenant. We see this in verse 72. So what is a covenant? One definition is this, a divine covenant is how God binds himself by his own oath to keep his promises. The best example we have of a covenant is marriage, that ideally marriage is two people coming together also in sight of God, saying we are being bound together in covenant, in marriage. We are saying, hey, this is not a contract where if I do what I say and you do what you say, then we'll agree to stay happy. No, we say I'm you know, in marriage, like in sickness and in health till death do his part, it is covenant not to be separated. And so the div- a divine covenant is how God binds himself by his own oath to keep his promises. So through Jesus, God is remembering his covenant. Let's look back at this. After the flood in the book of Genesis, God made a covenant with Noah. And the covenant was, hey, I will never destroy the earth again by a flood. God made this promise to Noah, showing his faithfulness. You go to Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham that through him, God would form and multiply a people. Later on, God made a covenant with Moses, giving Moses his law that would set the Israelites apart from the world. I already talked about the covenant that God made with David. God said there will always be someone on the throne in the house of David. And over and over in the Old Testament, God reiterated his covenant with a phrase, they will be my people and I will be their God. When you read the Old Testament, you see that the people of God more often than not were hard-headed and ran from God and worshiped other gods and did their own thing. And there were consequences for their sin and yet God was faithful to his people. And God was faithful to say, I'm gonna fulfill my end of the deal. Even when you fail, even when you mess up, I'm going to be faithful because I am in covenant with you. And so here in Luke chapter one, what we see is the coming of the birth of Jesus is God remembering his covenant with his people. All that God had promised to Abraham, it says that here, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, this is in verse 73. So he, he, this prophecy that Zechariah gives goes all the way back to Abraham. All that God promised to Abraham, he's, God had told Abraham, you will be a people more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Seashore? Seashore. <laughs> Try to say that 10 times fast, right? But all of these things God is fulfilling. It's being fulfilled in Jesus. God's covenant that he made with Abraham, that Abraham never saw the results of, is now hundreds and hundreds of years later being fulfilled through Jesus. And you and I are sitting here in this church today because God keeps his promises. Because we are part of this covenant that God made to Abraham, that through Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham. As if, if you grew up in and around church, especially in like the 80s and 90s, you probably sang Father Abraham and many sons. Right? That song is really deeply theological, right? Because it shows us and shows to us that we, through Jesus, can take part in the promises of God that he gave to Abraham. We are sons and daughters of God. We are brought into the promises through Jesus, the covenant that God made with Abraham 
is being fulfilled. Being fulfilled. God remembers his covenant. You remember what Zechariah's name means? Yahweh has remembered. Sometimes we might just need to say, God remembers. <laughs> when we feel forgotten, we can say, God remembers. God sees, he knows, he remembers. And God keeps his promises. So we rejoice that through Jesus, the promises of God have been fulfilled. Fulfilled. And why? What is the so that? Three things I wanna look at as we kind of apply this and, th and, and begin to wrap up. So that, first of all, Jesus has done this so that we can serve God without fear. And we're gonna see each of these things in the scripture this morning. Jesus has done this. His, the promises of God have been fulfilled so that we can serve God without fear. You see this in verse 74. It says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. The fact that Jesus, our salvation has come into the world means that we can serve God without fear. We have been rescued and delivered from death in darkness. What do we have to fear? I don't know about you, but I know there have been times in my life, have you ever felt that sense in your heart of, well, God, if I give you everything, if I surrender everything, what are you gonna make me do? What are you gonna make me give up? What are you gonna ask me to do? Now, that's a good question because to follow Jesus means we lay down everything and say, okay, you are in control. And yet what this scripture is, sh is showing us is that we can serve God without fear, meaning that he is a good God. He has accomplished his purposes. He has done what he has said. We can serve him knowing that he knows what he is doing. We do not have to live in fear. We can obey God, following him wherever he leads without fear. Again, what is the worst that can happen? Death? Jesus has conquered death. We can live without fear. To live without fear is to be confident in the character and faithfulness of God that he is a promise keeping God. And he has proven this over and over in his word, throughout history and in our lives, he keeps his promises. So this morning know that because Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, you can serve God without fear, knowing that he won't forget about you or abandon you. You can ask yourself, okay, well, what if God asks me to do something that I, I think I could never do. You can step forward in faith without fear because you can trust that God will be faithful. When you're prompted to share Jesus with a friend and there is fear there, when you feel that God is leading you to be generous in some way and you're saying, I don't know if I can do that, when God is leading you to make a decision that would seem crazy to other people, you can live without fear because of what Jesus has done. We can serve him without fear. This prophecy that Zechariah has given, it is clearly showing Jesus has brought salvation. Now, as God's people, we can serve without fear. The second thing, 
Jesus fulfilled God's promises so that we can serve God in holiness and righteousness. This is the next phrase here in verse 75. It says, so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Because God has fulfilled his promises, we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. This means that we, church, we are a people set apart that God is holy and righteous. And through Jesus, we are being formed to be a people that is holy and righteous and set apart from the world. So we apply this by this, by thinking, by, by knowing the way that we think, the way that we act, the entertainment and things that we consume the way that we interact with each other and the world around us, the way that we speak, these things matter. And all through the Old Testament, God's covenant with his people meant that God would be faithful to his people and that they would honor him with their lives, would be a people set apart, would be a people whose hearts are set on worshiping him. Church, because of Jesus, we are set apart we are different from the world. And when we live holy and righteous lives, the world sees Jesus in us. One of the fruits, one of the effects of the work of Christ in us is holiness. I'll be honest, holiness is not always a popular idea to talk about. What does that mean? Does that mean that like we're weird and we just don't have any fun? No, but it means that we understand that we are set apart, that our hearts are set apart, that we live differently from people around us. We live a life of purity and holiness and faithfulness to God because he has set us apart and fulfilling his promises, he has set us apart. And finally, the fact that Jesus has fulfilled the promises of God means that we church can proclaim the gospel. We proclaim Jesus just like John the Baptist did to give knowledge of salvation. Verse 78 and 79, Zechariah is talking about John the Baptist. It says, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Verse 77, sorry, I told you the wrong things. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. In verse 78 and 79, describe what the good news does, what the good news brings. It gives us, it gives us this imagery of the sun rising on us. Dwayne and Rosette read a moment ago, Isaiah 9 verse two that says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And this calling that was coming for John the Baptist to say, hey, you're gonna go proclaim light into darkness. You're gonna point people to Jesus as the Messiah. It is our calling as well. Everyone who follows Jesus, every believer in Jesus has the calling to go and proclaim, this is who Jesus is. He is the light of the world. For those who are living in darkness, there is a place of light. And sharing the good news of Jesus with others is an overflow of God's work in us. As we experience the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus in our own lives, and as we experience God's faithfulness firsthand in our lives, that joy can burst out of our lives to say, oh, it's because of Jesus. He is the only hope that I have. There is life found in him. 
And we go and share, hey, I was broken. I was the one living in the land of darkness and yet Jesus brought me out. And because God has fulfilled his promises, it means that we as God's people can live in a way that we proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world around us. We rejoice that through Jesus, the promises of God have been fulfilled. There's an old song, I don't know how old it is, called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. You know it's old because it says tis, right? What is that, right? But the chorus of that song says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And think about that. That phrase, how I've proved him over and over, what does that mean? It means that over and over I've said, God, I need you to show up and he has shown himself faithful. That over and over in his word, in the grand story of redemption, God has proved himself over and over. And what grace he has proved himself over and over in our lives that we can look back because of Jesus and we can say, I'm glad I didn't follow my plan, my path, because God knows what he is doing. He has proved himself faithful over and over. God has fulfilled his promises and he will continue to do so. Christ will come again. One quote that I read about Advent, it says this. It says, we are not a people who merely look to the one moment that God broke into history. We await his coming again in glory when the king's reign shall be on earth as it is in heaven. God keeps his promises. This is our hope through the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus is what we've already described. It's the gospel that Jesus came and was born of a virgin in a sinless way, lived a sinless life and died on a cross to pay for the sin that you and I deserve. He rose from the dead, conquering death, and there is no other way to get to God but by faith alone in Christ alone. And by putting our faith in him and saying, okay, God, I give up. I come to you with empty hands. I don't bring my own good works. I bring my, my, my brokenness and say, God, I can't, but I put my faith in you, Jesus, that you, because you've given your life, You've taken my place. I can be rescued out of my sin and brought into relationship with God. And this is our hope. We think about this, this big picture story. The arrival of Jesus was not the result of goodness and hard work by the Israelite people. In fact, it was the opposite, right? It was a gift of God that God fulfilled his promises. It was a gift. It's the same for us. There is nothing we can do to be good enough to earn our way to God. And God is not looking for our goodness, our strength. God is looking for our humility and our brokenness and our faith to say, I've got nothing, but Jesus, I know you have everything that I need. So Zechariah and Elizabeth responded to the coming of Jesus by recognizing God's faithfulness and by rejoicing. So how will we respond today? So we begin to close. Maybe this morning, maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus. As you hear this preached, and maybe you've been part of a church for a long time, or maybe you're new to this, but maybe you need to say, 
I've been trying to get to God on my own, doing enough good stuff, being a good enough person so that God will love me. It won't work. It's not enough. Maybe today you need to come and say, God, I realize that I am sinful and broken and I cannot save myself. You need to put your faith in Jesus today to turn away from your sin and believe in him this morning. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe this morning you just need to reflect on the fact that God keeps his promises. He has not forgotten you. In all the places that you might feel forgotten, he has not forgotten you. And just your, your response today, your reaction might need to be to tell yourself, hey, self, put your trust in the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Maybe you need to ask God to help you serve him without fear. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to repent of sin. Just say, God, I wanna serve you in holiness and righteousness as we talked about. Maybe there are changes that need to be made in your life so that you can live a life. Sorry, switch mix. Sorry, I'll, I'll keep this. <laughs> so that you can live a life of holiness and righteousness. Maybe this morning you need to let the truth of the gospel work in you so that it can flow out of you. So we're gonna continue in worship and let's let our response be that we respond to the truth of God's faithfulness with a heart of worship this morning. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.